the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ, and today I want us to take a look at Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. And um, you'll recognize this story, if you've read the Bible much, you'll recognize this, and I want to kind of hearken in on something here in this passage. Not really going to ex- work through this expositorily, but I want us to, to focus in on the friends. But let's start by reading the passage here in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. One day, he, that's Jesus, was teaching. And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had, some from, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd, in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. Let's start off with a story, something very similar here, of what I want us to see in this passage. Back in the early 1960s, President John F. Kennedy set a vision before America. He said, quote, We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are 
unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win. And so within that decade, NASA succeeded in sending a ship into space that orbited and sent a lunar lander to the surface of the moon for the first time. And so man set foot on that celestial body for the first time, rather than just the Earth. And now, nearly 50 years later, we have a new dream, right? We have a new vision. We are now uh, on our goal, or we have our mind set to put a man on Mars. Now, that's a that's a bigger deal. Mars, you know, doesn't circle the, the Earth; it circles the Sun. So, we're not always in line with each other. And there are times when Mars, or most of the time, Mars is far away. There's really only what is it? I think it's once or twice. Uh, <clears throat> oh, sorry, I have it right here. The or, yeah, the Earth, the orbits of Earth and Mars are are such that only once every two years is Mars close enough for us to consider sending a spaceship there. And even then, it would be an eight-month trip. It also means that once a human crew reaches Mars, they would have to wait another two years before they could make the trip back home. So it would take uh, another eight months to get there, eight months to, uh, to get back, another roughly two years of waiting for opportunity to make the return trip. That's about three and a half years. That's a really long time, and it's a dangerous, complicated mission. But NASA has put their mind toward that objective. They are determined to get it done. And that was what I want us to see in this story this, this afternoon. We read about four men who were on a mission. Their, their friend was paralyzed, and these men were convinced that Jesus could heal him. Now, this is the first year of Jesus' ministry. And ever since the Sermon on the Mount... He's been out there preaching and teaching and healing. And it seems that every time people know he's in the area, they surround him, literally mob him. Now, Jesus has come to Capernaum, and again, he, he's surrounded by crowds. In fact, he's teaching inside a home, and it's packed with people. And there's this, this paralytic. And as you read the story, you almost sense this desperation and urgency and the, the friends' actions, they, they just got to get to Jesus. They don't want to wait. They don't want to put it off. Because I think, I think if they're, they're worried, if they wait, they might miss him. I'm sensing from their urgency that this paralytic or their friend, they've tried to get him to Jesus before. Perhaps they, they missed Jesus uh, days before when he got on the boat, crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But now, now he's back. And this man and his friends, this paralytic and his friends, they know where he's at. They probably rush to get that at place. They've got to see Jesus, but they, they, they can't risk Jesus you know, getting away again before their friend has a chance to be touched by Jesus. And so here they are. They finally caught up to him, but they can't get through. There's no room in the house. It's packed. They can't, apparently can't get close to the door. They can't even get to the windows because the crowd... And so they sit down, I imagine my mind's eye, they sit down, you know, trying to figure out, what are we going to do? Do we wait here? We camp out? And one of their friends probably looks up and says, well, you know, there's no one on the roof. And I can almost imagine his, his buddies looking at him. They didn't say a word, but they knew what he meant. We could dig a hole in that roof and then lower our friend down to Jesus. And so off they go. Now, you have to realize, surely you realize, 
This is a pretty bold move on their part. They are going to destroy the roof of someone else's home. They are going to disrupt a session being taught by Jesus. In fact, they're going to be barging into a meeting of some very important people, but the paralytic's friends don't seem to care. All they care is that they have a friend who's sick, and Jesus can heal him. Nothing else matters. They are on a mission, and they will not waver in their determination to reach their objective because their friend needs Jesus. And so we know their friend needs Jesus. And these folks, these guys, his friends, they get up on the roof. They begin to tear away at, the, I, don't, I don't know, the tiles or the branches. I, I doubt they use plaster, but whatever, they, they begin to tear away at that roof. And you can just imagine the crowd down below, you know, as the debris begins to fall, they begin to uh, move away or clamor away, <clears throat> getting, getting, uh, making an opening there in front of Jesus, enough space for a sick man on the pallet. I mean, the room has got to be quiet. The crowd silent. Everyone's watching because that, that would be pretty amazing to see or, or odd. Sunlight probably begins to stream down from the hole in the roof. You can see <clears throat> particles probably hanging in the dust. The room beginning to fill with a haze, the quietness of everyone wondering what's going on. The light's blocked as the friends begin to lower that pallet down into the house, into that room. Jesus, knowing what's going on, and he sees their faith. He sees their faith. You know, God prepares us, and he equips us to do uh, mighty things in his name. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That's, that's what we're here for. We're, God created us in Christ. And that is, he created us by when we were baptized into Christ. Now we're in him. We're in the one new man. But God doesn't expect us, expect us just to sit around and do nothing. Oh, we're there. We're safe. We don't have to do anything. He does expect us to do things. Not that this, the things we do save us or, or make us righteous. He expects us to do things because of what he's done for us. And so now he's created us to do a particular work. First, he wanted us to find him, to find the truth, and act on the word of Christ, which we, we did when we uh, hear, believe, repent, confess, were baptized, and now we are to live the faithful Christian life. And we are to always die to self and live for him, to renew the mind. But there's another thing. There's another thing God requires of us. At one point in the ministry of Jesus, he tells his disciples in John 14, 12, he says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Now, there Jesus is talking about the miraculous he's been doing. Yeah, you're going to do miraculous, but you are going to do greater works than these. What's the greater works? Well, for, for us, you know, as humans upon this earth, to see a, a miracle... Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that, wow, who wouldn't want to do that? Remember Simon the Sorcerer? He was willing to pay money. Oh, let me do the same thing you guys do. Well, burn and you're going to burn in hell with your money if you have that kind of attitude. 
Wrong attitude. So what? But Jesus isn't saying you're going to do greater miracles. He's, he's not telling his disciples that the miracles they're going to do is greater. I mean, after all, Jesus was raising the dead, and even he was raised from the dead. That, I mean, you'll, you'll see that happening, but that's pretty amazing. You, you, it's hard to top that, uh, except for when you know Peter raised the dead too, but Jesus did too. What's the greater thing they're going to do? It's not miracles. Remember, this is in the eyes of God, from his perspective. God created everything. So how great is are miracles in his eyes? Eh, that's no big deal for him. But what's great in his mind, what's great in his eyes, is when someone repents and comes back home. Jesus said in Luke 15, There is joy in the presence of the angels of, uh, of God over one sinner who repents. And knowing that, can you imagine the anticipation that occurs in heaven every time you bring someone to a Bible study or talk to them about Jesus? Because the angels know, opportunity is coming, it's close. This could be it. And so the anticipation builds up. Somebody did a study sometime back of the people in the New Testament that Jesus healed. And of the 40 times uh, Jesus does these healings, 34 were either brought to Jesus by their friends or he was taken to them. Only six cases out of 40 did those who were suffering find their way to Jesus without assistance. Think about that for a minute. You know how many congregations sit around and wait for sinners to come to them on Sundays or Sunday night or Wednesday night or whatever? You know, we do that, don't we? Hey, and, and how often does that happen? Well, not often. Not often. It doesn't, that just doesn't happen. Well, it happens, but just, it's so rare. But God expects us to go and get them. And not just anyone. It's your friends. Those who, have, uh, who, who we are close to. I want to remind you again of these four friends, of what they were, um, what they were willing to do to bring their friend to Jesus. They destroyed a roof. They disrupted a Bible class. They barged in on a meeting of some important people, barged in on a meeting of Jesus speaking. And they did that because they had faith that Jesus could help their friend. In fact, Jesus said, it tells us in the text that Jesus saw their faith. Do you know why a lot of folks don't bring their friends, their family, neighbors to, to a Bible study? Why they don't talk to people about Jesus? It's because they don't really have faith that Jesus can change people's lives. You know, I know you probably hear that from televangelists. Oh, you weren't healed because you didn't have enough faith. And we get frustrated by that. That's not true. Well, think about it, though. If you're not bringing your friends and family to Jesus, that's a red flag. If you're not at least talking to them about Jesus, that's a red flag. Why? Think about it like this. If you were back there in the New Testament time, and your friend, your friend, or maybe your family member, maybe your mom, your dad, one of your siblings, was paralyzed. They couldn't move. They couldn't care for themselves. How, how desperate, how desperate would you be to, to take, take your friend and, and get them to someone who can truly heal them, whole and complete? I mean, you'd be desperate, right? Like these four friends. What were they willing to do? 
Man, we'll destroy someone's house if we have to. I don't care who we disrupt. We don't care how uncomfortable it might be. We don't care what it takes. We're going to get our friend to Jesus because we know he can heal him. They had faith that he could do it. And here we are, with all our friends and our families who are lost in a dying world, and how, how much do we really try and get them to the Lord? I read a story about a, uh, a man who just got a job preaching. And um, in his office, he could see out his window uh, the church bus. Now, we, we, I don't, we don't have a church bus here at North Valley, but this guy could see, look out, he could see this church bus, beautiful, clean, looked brand new. And once a week, one of the members of the congregation would show up with a bucket and suds and sponges, and then right there on the spot, they'd wash that van. And he watched and watched it, and they never used it. It always just sat there. And you couldn't believe it. Like, Man, that thing looks so good. It looks nice. It's got our name on the side of it. We could be driving it around, picking people up, picking up widows, picking up kids, whatever. We should utilize that bus. And so he went to the elders with that. And the elders said, well, that's a, those are some great plans, great ideas, but we can't do it. Oh, why not? Well, the bus doesn't work. A couple years back, lightning hit it and it fried one of the circuitry boards. And the preacher said, well... Have we looked into how much it might cost to uh, get a new board? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we actually bought the board. It's stored in your office, actually. We, we have it. Well, how come we haven't changed it out? Well, we don't have anybody who can install it here in the building. And so it just sits there. For all intents and purposes, the bus looks great. Everything looks fine on the outside. Inside, doesn't work. We may have all the things we need to make it work, but we need someone who can fix it. And that's the way it is with our friends and family. On the outside, looks fine, doesn't it? I mean, they drive to work. They make money. They come home. They have a great family. They love each other. Their kids are growing up. They're in a great neighborhood. They have the means to take care of themselves. They have a great house. They have food. Everything on the outside looks fantastic, doesn't it? But on the inside, they have a problem. It's a sin problem, and they don't have a right relationship with the Lord. And since we don't physically see the problem, we have a hard time with our desperation for them. And we know they need Jesus. We know it, but hmm, it's kind of uncomfortable to bring up Jesus. And I don't know how to ask somebody for a Bible study. And we begin to have all these reasons for not bringing it up. And so part of the problem is that we often don't see the problem. These four friends in our story, their friend had an obvious problem. But the problems in the lives of people around us just aren't that obvious. And so we might want to pray to God that he makes the problem more obvious to us so we can have that same desperation for our friends and for our families as others do. You know, in our, uh, in our city here of Phoenix, we have a lot of professional uh, sports teams. We got, you know, the Phoenix Suns. We have the Arizona Diamondbacks who are doing well. We have the Arizona Cardinals. We got the Arizona uh, uh, Coyotes. We have a lot of professional sports teams. And, and I, I like to keep up with it. I don't really watch the games, but, you know, I may watch it on, on my phone to see if they're winning, to see if they're doing well. But I would never buy tickets 
to go see a game. And even if I had tickets, I probably just would not go and watch the. I just don't care to. I don't. I got other things I could do with my time. I'm not interested in it. However, I've been to a basketball game before, the Arizona Suns. I sat right behind the bench. A lot of people would be envious of that. I know because they, a lot of people enjoy going to those games, and, and I I greatly enjoyed it. Not because I was there at the game. I I I, I don't even remember the game. I don't remember the scene, the players right there. But what I do remember is looking to my right where my friends were sitting who had invited me to come with them to the game. And that's the only reason why I came. If they had bought tickets, my friends, and gave me the tickets and said, Hey, Chris, won't you take these and go watch a game? But we, won't, we can't go with you. I probably wouldn't go. I'd say, Oh, no, thank you. Or I'd just give them away to someone else who'd really want to. But since they wanted me to go with them, I went. And I greatly enjoyed my time because I was with my friends. And you see, that's what it is with a lot of folks in the world. They probably would never on, on their own just go to a, to a Bible study. Not really, not really a worship service, but go to a Bible study. Well, I don't feel like I need it. But if they have a good friend and their friend says, you know what, hey, I want to go be going to a Bible study. You, you want to go with me? They might. They might, because they'll be going with you, and you will bring them to Christ. You see, the thing is, they'd be more likely to go to these events if you personally took them. And, and you know what? I want to say something that maybe, maybe this will make you a little uncomfortable. I don't know, but li- li- listen closely. It's okay to bribe them a little bit, Okay. It is. It really is. I know uh, as far as you know, Bible studies go and getting people to come to Bible studies, you, you don't like that idea. It's okay. Have a dinner. Take them to dinner. Take them out to eat. You remember uh, Levi, Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew? He invited Jesus to his house and he had a big dinner. And he invited all his friends to the dinner. Because he wanted them to meet Jesus. And so it's okay to say, hey, Sunday afternoon, would you like to go out to have lunch with me and my family? Yeah, man, where, where do you want to go? Well, let's go get some barbecue. Great. Hey, you know, just to make things easier, won't you ride with us? We'll, we'll go to a Bible study, and then afterward, we'll go straight out to eat. And uh, my treat. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to do that. Your, the goal is, is to get the seed planted. Or, or even just say, hey, would you like to have a Bible study? Chances are, I know, they'll say no, but guess what? You planted the seed. You planted the seed in their heart that they now know that you're interested in the things of the Bible. And maybe one day they have a question about it. They may text you on your phone. They may email you or ask you directly, hey, I, I know you've asked me about Bible studies once. Maybe you can help me with some questions. What do you know about this? And it may just be one thing. Answer the question, let it be, and let that relationship in that area grow. And that's what we ought to be doing. That's how we invite people to come. And every time you bring up Jesus or ask somebody for a Bible study or, or, or bribe them to go to the, a, a study up in heaven, the anticipation grows among the angels, doesn't it? Because they know it's close and they're excited. I read a story about a young salesman that had lost a major sale. He'd really counted on this contract, but it, it fell through, and he was uh, upset about this. So he called up a friend of his father's 
who was the marketing manager of a large business. And he shared his, um, shared his frustration with him. And he was looking for guidance. And maybe he was looking for a shoulder to cry on. I don't know. But in the course of the conversation, the young man shrugged his shoulders and he said, said this. This is a phrase we all know well. He said, I guess you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And the marketing manager smiled at that and said, Son, your job's not to make them drink. It's to make them thirsty. How true is that? Man, that is so true. I, I have uh, three kids, one more on the way. Can you believe that? Four kids. I thought I was done. But yeah, four kids. The other one's uh, coming up due in September. Joshua, Jonah, Jody, and Julie is going to be her name. Two boys, two girls. Anyway, my, my uh, youngest at this right now, jo- Jody, I have a hard time getting her to eat. My wife, Jenny, was out of town for several days, so it was just me and the three kids. I was taking care of them. And... Uh, well, I really appreciate my wife after having to go through that for several, for a while. Anyway, so I'm trying to get Jody to eat. She won't eat. I just could not get her to eat. I could lead her to the table, but I couldn't get her to eat. And so the next day, when I got them up, I had them running, playing games. Run, 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 run. Took them out to the pool. Swim, 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 swim. Oh, I'm hungry, Daddy. Nah, it's not lunch yet. And make them run, run, run some more. More swimming. Coming back in. Dry them off. Play some more games. And when lunch came around, guess what? I led her to the table, and she ate because she was hungry. It is our job. That's right, our job as Christians. God expects this of us to make people hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And you can do that in all kinds of ways. You know, when, when life is, is difficult and things are down and people know that you're a Christian, and you might say your things are hard in your life, and yet... Even though they may know about it, you're exhibiting a joy in life, despite the hardships. And when people see that, they're always like, wow, man, he's handling that so well. And then when one day in their lives, your friends and families who are not part of Christ, they may have hard times and they're struggling and they can't find joy, but they remember you did. And they're going to wonder, how did you do that? That is you making them hunger and thirst after righteousness. And when you show good and kindness toward people as a Christian, giving glory to the Father, you are planting those seeds and you're showing them that, that there is something greater in this world. You're making them hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so I want us all to think about these things. Remember the story about these four men who brought their friend to Jesus because they were desperate to get him to the one, the only one, who could heal them. We have friends and families not in Christ, but we know the answer they need. They may not realize it. On the outside, everything looks great, but on the inside, sin is eating them away. But we have the answer. So let us make the most of every opportunity. Let us redeem the time while we still have it in this world. May the Lord bless you in your endeavors, in your studies, and your reaching out to those who desperately need our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bring it out, bring it out, till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty Son. Bring it out, bring it out, bring it out. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.